0: This is the Ignoramance's Guide to Surviving Humanity. I'm Liana Chan uh, with my co-host. And one, one. Should we just wait for Max and do that again? No, I
1: think that's great. Uh, <laughs> and we have our guests. We have
0: two really special guests, actually. Go ahead. Plural.
1: Yeah. Great. Uh, empowerment coach and actor Scott Victor Nelson and anonymous Matt
0: anonymous but also well world renowned heartthrob max <laughs> who um, so do you want to do your own intro max
2: <laughs> um, this
3: will I'm, be edited i'm, I'm max great <laughs> right.
0: exactly okay
1: and eliana what is this week's book
0: so this week's book is, this month's book is Body Keeps the Score. Um, and why we chose this book is because it's one of those books that basically is mentioned in almost every, like anything to do with self-improvement, therapy, even acting. I mean, this is the book, like the foundational book on trauma. And since I hadn't read it, I was like, I should probably read what everybody keeps talking about. And hence the book, yeah. Um, and why we have Scott and Max on is because um, apparently they've learned a lot from this book, <laughs> and it's a meaningful <laughs> book to them. Um,
3: I, I totally did not understand the prompt. Were we supposed to read the book before the <laughs>
0: To be. So, the, the request for the podcast being, do you want to come on this podcast and discuss this book? And you were like, I don't have to read the book. Um, well, lucky for you, Scott knows this book so well
1: that. But... <laughs> and I've also heard you talk about it, next, so we're good. Just make it up.
0: Right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, so Scott, since you're expert on
2: this book I'm I'm curious Ileana what was it like for you to read it
0: (laughs) okay so what it was like for me to read it was it was interesting because first of all none of it is new because it's so foundational like it's like it really covers almost all my ideas about trauma (laughs) you know it was like it, it talked about so well, first of all, it talked about so many different ways to deal with trauma that um, I'd heard about in pieces, you know, like EMDR and um, yoga and meditation and um, and then it talked about PTSD. So so that was what was really it was like so comprehensive. So that was like interesting. And um, my other takeaway from it, which is one that I'm actually trying to figure out actually is, um, it's something that Anne said when we were reading it, she was like, it kind of makes me think that everybody has trauma. Mm. And that was actually interesting to me because reading it, I actually got the opposite. (laughs) I got the opposite idea was like, no, this book sort of makes trauma very, very real, very tangible. And I almost felt like when you say, Oh, everybody's gone through trauma you kind of gaslight everyone. Because <laughs> the specific types of traumas, well, he talks by lots of different traumas. But um, a lot of that is just um, I think he explains the mechanism of trauma really well, in a way like that someone who, who hasn't been through intense trauma, wouldn't wouldn't understand. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? I'm still trying to figure it out in my mind. So
2: well, use, I mean, you used an interesting term. You said it, it, by saying everyone's experienced trauma, you said you used gaslighting. What do you mean by that?
0: Um, I kind of mean that, like, one of the things he does say in the book is that um, sort of like the root to the healing comes with the accurate understanding of the situation. So, the accurate understanding of the trauma and what actually happened. So many people block out that trauma. Mm-hmm you know, and then it's sort of it's still in like the body keeps the score. So it's still in your body. And it um, determines how you react to to different situations. So that's the thing that, you know, it really establishes a tangible way in which it's not just like people are overreacting, you know, you know what I mean? It's like, no, these people that he's talking about have had like real trauma that's created this reaction in their bodies so if you kind of say well everyone's had trauma someone who hasn't been through that type of intense experience wouldn't necessarily get triggered in these ways, and so it they can kind of look at someone who is reacting in a way that seems crazy to them you know as like
2: i'm curious if it illuminated anything for you in your own life that maybe you weren't aware of before
0: um not really for me. because <laughs> One, like I said, like, I think part of this book is that it is so comprehensive. So I've heard of a lot of these terms before. Um, and the other thing that I was uh, sort of like saying about this is that I haven't had these types of intense trauma, like I've had like trauma maybe with small t, like, and I don't know if that, like, I don't know if that sort of definition of trauma with a small t is helpful, because I still think that it overlaps, you know, um, it makes makes it confusing in our minds, um, if that makes sense. But what about, so now that everyone knows exactly what I think about the book, <laughs> um, what about you? What When you first read the book, um, what? What were your takeaways? Because you read it, you both, Max included, (laughs) read this book way before we did. And it came out in 2014. So what was your experience? Um,
3: I think I gave
2: Scott this book. (gasps) Oh. What? Is this I don't know we had we had a whole thing where we were reading like I'd be reading a book and I'd talk to you and then you were reading the same book and we had a whole weird like go of that so but maybe you gave me this one I think I think this is
3: one of the ones where like huh how do I how do I keep this in a general way I had just been through a gnarly event in my life that was incredibly painful and and what had happened was is that I, I needed to get some help and, and I had, it felt like my skin was on fire. And I kept telling the people who were helping me that my skin was on fire. And they were like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I said, I don't know how to put this any other way. It feels like my skin is literally on fire. And finally someone said, uh, you know, I, I think you should read this book. The body keeps the score. And, um, I remember reading it and the first couple of chapters really talk about this guy, Bessel van der Kolk I hope I'm saying his name correctly, um, working in I believe it was mass General or maybe it was Harvard, but he was working with Vietnam vets, and noticing these patterns of inclusion versus exclusion. like they really didn't feel understood until they gave him badges and medals and made him part of their tribe. Um, and I was like, okay, I don't, I don't, I I relate, I relate in a number of ways, but I don't understand what this particular thing has to do with me. And I kept reading through it and it was really kind of chronicling his history of understanding trauma uh, before he even knew what he was looking at. And I remember there was a a chapter, I think it was chapter three, that was a big turning point where he had something like 30 to 50 patients who were all women in their thirties, Um, they had all been molested by their father's incest and they were all going blind. And that's kind of when this light bulb went off and I was like, oh shit. And I, I knew, I knew that whatever followed that was going to start. It it was going to point to what was going on in my body that I couldn't figure out. Um, And it was really important for me, you know, I'll say this in a general way, I've been in the recovery community for about 12 years, to start to understand what mechanisms, how the brain works, you know, Um, how the brain actually works, how, how trauma, what trauma really is, you hear these buzzwords used all the time, trauma, empathy, blah, blah, I'll be honest, narcissism. I don't think people know what words they're actually using. I think it can be a big problem because I kind of heard you say, you know, oh, I've been, I've been, you know, traumatized, or you didn't say that, but you were saying you hear that. And then it's like, well, is that really trauma? What is trauma? So to have to have someone show you brain scans. I mean, that's where this book really started to, to be very helpful and show how the brain works, that there's this kind of frontal lobe. That's where my human intelligence is based. And then I have this kind of emotional center in the back. And that's kind of this emotional intelligence. But then I have this core part of my brain in the brainstem called the amygdala. And it's my my primal kind of lizard brain, my survival brain. And that essentially my, my, my amygdala, when I experience a situation where I'm fight, flight, freeze, or fawn, that's a signal that my brain's sending into my body to give me the energy to take care of myself and survive. But human beings are, are different than other animals. We Other animals, you see them fight, you'll see like two deer. I, I love going out in nature and you'll see animals fight each other to you know win the dough or whatever. And they'll fight and then they'll shake it off afterwards. But as human beings, because of, The way our brain is organized with the frontal lobe, this emotional center, we'll fire a signal from our amygdala in our body to run, fight, do whatever we need to do. And it doesn't actually get translated. It doesn't happen. So the way it was described to me was energy and motion. The energy goes into the body, but the motion doesn't happen. So then my body has to adapt to the fact that it has this new energy inside of it. And it's this emotional block. So as I was reading this book, the more I read this book, the more I started to be aware of what was going on in my body. And I started to become very aware as I slowed down, as I had to practice meditation again, had to get a lot of outside help. I started to feel very painful parts of my body that had always been there that I wasn't cognitively aware of. And by, by learning from this book that what was important was to feel safe, that this, the sense of safety enabled me to get in touch with these parts of myself that were unsafe feelings. Um, man, the, 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 the title is beautiful because those, those parts of our body, if you get in touch with them, they actually, they have messaging inside of them. They tell you what needed to happen and didn't happen. And you can you can really get a sense of what needs weren't met, or or what you needed to do in a particular moment, if we're talking about a capital T traumatic event, what feelings needed to come out, the, the body will talk to you like, this book changed my understanding. And I know I'm on a little bit of a rant here. This book changed my understanding of this term we use mental illness, because it's really not that's like outdated. I'm not qualified to say this, but this stuff isn't just happening from the neck up. It's not mental illness. It's a holistic thing. It's one system. The mental illness is the fact that it's cut off at the head. That's that's why we have mental illness is because we're not looking at the body. We're not looking how it's all related that this is just one system. So this book was revolutionary and really changed the way I looked at how to heal and how to recover. And again, like I remember calling Scott and being like have you read this book, man? And he was like, oh, "Yeah, you know, blah blah blah." He's like, "You need to read this book." And then he called me a week later and was like,
2: "Oh my god, this book changed everything."
3: Um, so that's that's my introduction. That's what I'm going to throw it to you, Scott.
2: I mean, yeah, it's. I mean, I had been in therapy since my mid twenties, and. I, I don't think I knew or had access to what was really going on, because if you're just, well, first of all, I was still drinking at the time. And I think that, you know, doing anything, and he talks about it in the book, he talks about how Before I go there, I want to speak, Max. I love everything you said, and you brought up the amygdala. And the thing that I want to bring up about the amygdala before we move on is that if you were a small child and you grew up in a chaotic environment, and you grew up with parents who weren't able to feel their own feelings or weren't able to treat you like a little human being that had its own thoughts and feelings, you grow up in a chaotic environment. What happens is, is that your amygdala is actually an overdrive from an early age. So instead of just having a normal response to a situation, your amygdala is already so overstimulated that the tiniest little thing sets you off. So I was in therapy since my mid twenties. Um, yes, it helped to talk about things. I quit drinking in my mid thirties, back into therapy, five years into therapy. And my therapist tells me I have PTSD. I'm like, what? I grew up in Cleveland. We had had a middle-class life. I had two parents and a dog and a sister. And like, what are you talking about? I have PTSD because I had this idea in my head that PTSD meant you came from the war or PTSD meant that you went through something that was like, like someone beat the crap out of you when you were a kid, or you were molested as a child. And that didn't happen to me. What happened was a tremendous amount of emotional, um, abuse. That's just the word that I'll use now. I wasn't comfortable with it before, but it was. There was a lot of love in my home. There was also a tremendous amount of neglect. And there was also a tremendous amount of um, caustic emotional abuse. A lot of screaming, a lot of yelling, that kind of thing. So as a child, what I didn't realize is all of that energy goes into the little person's body. right? So if my mother screams for three hours a couple of times a week at me, That energy goes into my body. Now, as I grow up, what happens is, as I start going, okay, I found my sense of humor. I joked about it. I had no idea the level of what actually was going on because I learned how to make light of it. And I learned how to make it funny. And I also learned how to be a really good drinker and a really good pot smoker and use other people to like not feel my feelings. So five years after quitting drinking, getting diagnosed with PTSD and starting to look at all these things, I realized that my whole life, I was living in a state of reaction because I never actually had a feeling of feeling safe to be able to make choices about what's happening. I was living like, what do I need to do to feel safe? So when I walk into a room, I'm hypervigilant. I know who I, I know who I need to avoid. And like, you know, everything, there's so much hypervigilance and we talk about empathy and we talk about empaths and Thank God the conversation is starting to change around that because it's not a good thing when people are empathic. The reason people become empathic is because they grew up with such intense circumstances that they've had to learn how to know what other people are feeling to protect themselves and feel safe. So, five years in, I get diagnosed with PTSD. I start looking at all this stuff and I realize all this stuff that I was unwilling to feel, that screaming that went into my body several times a week for years. Talk about the pain. I mean, Max, you know, you and I have had conversations about this. The pain in my body was so intense. And I realized sometimes that when I sat with the pain and I really sat with it, it literally felt like the sound of my mother yelling. And I was like, this is crazy. Like the body keeps the score. Like you can't, you can't just treat the mind. You can't. And the only way of going through it is to actually allow the body its experience of feeling and creating a place where you are actually safe enough to feel. I didn't have a space to be safe enough to feel until I was several years off drinking, back in therapy, doing all this stuff, because the mind is trying to protect the body from feeling all of those things, right? It literally is there to protect. So it thinks it's doing a good job, but the problem is it's actually protecting you from living and having a life. And the only way of doing that is to allow the feelings to come up, which is fucking like dying. It is in some ways because you die to the old way of coping. You die to thinking that a drink, a drug, a person, shopping, whatever is going to be is going is to fix you. you. You have to let go of all of the mental constructs. And just be with the feelings of the body so when i read so when i read this book um i was so blown away i could only listen to it in small chunks because it was speaking to my body
0: scott said that thing about empathy and that made me also curious because, and also this is a good point. I, I actually <laughs> didn't
2: I actually didn't say anything about empathy. I talked about empaths, which is different. I think empathy is a very, it, all of us need to practice empathy, right? Okay, Practicing yeah. empathy and being able to imagine what it's like to be in another person's shoes is exactly the thing that starts to free us. But then we have to be able to be in that discomfort, right? Yeah, absolutely. I'm talking about being an empath, which is the people who are hypervigilant and can feel other people's feelings not just their own and the reason that i'm talking about that is because we've been there, there's been conversations recently around empaths people always thought empaths were like 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 special human beings right but empaths are actually created from traumatic events they're people who had to learn how to feel other people's feelings cuz they couldn't those people couldn't feel them and they weren't able to feel their own and so it's actually not a healthy thing that's different than empathy being able to empathize with another person is an incredibly important and healthy and necessary skill. Little difference. I just wanted to clear that up.
0: That's good. I'm really glad you cleared up that up because I did not understand that. And, but this is a really good point to turn to Anne, who once told me that she was an empath. So what do you think about that?
1: <laughs> what do I think about being an empath? The,
0: yeah. Do you relate to that, the idea that you are an empath? Or is that yeah. a misuse of the term? Are
1: you, yeah. No, totally. Cause I, it, it's always been much easier for me to take on other people's feelings and to feel that because um, I disassociate. Um, that's, that's the correct word, right? Disassociate, that's what they're saying. Um, and that's what like reading the book slash listening to the book. Cause I didn't read it. Um, that, that's where I was like, Oh, well, I don't, I don't know that I know everything that has happened to me had happened as a kid. Like there, there are definitely some things that I think I've blocked out, um, in order to cope, um, in order to protect myself because listening to it, I was like, Oh, that's familiar. Oh, that's familiar. Like, I don't know how to be in my body. Um, like when, when I met Scott, he always was like, there's just something frozen in you, like, and it's slowly unthawing." but that's me like disassociating. There are so many events in my life where I either didn't know what happened. And it would like, I always felt like it was an alien experience. Like then I would come into my body. Um, or there are times that I know, like, I would take myself out of the situation and able to be able to cope. Um, and so that that made me start thinking um, and having a lot more compassion for other people because how many other people don't know things that have happened and who have blocked that out?
0: So is it like, because he actually mentions that in the book, that the alien experience, he talks about that. Like someone talks about a few um, incidences where they would black out I guess yeah but yeah uh, i definitely and but things would happen like, yeah to you i mean like other people would be like you said that you said, and is it, was it yeah like that? so i have yeah oh wow yeah
1: okay or like there was one i remember like i had knocked on somebody's door and tried to open it like somebody's front door i don't remember any of this at all and then i just like when i like was into the body Somebody, um, I think it was like a, my sister's friend's house. Uh, somebody opened the door and was like, why are you trying to get in? Like, I heard you do oh. um, ring the doorbell. Like they're just random little things that I don't, like, I don't know. It's just, it's interesting.
0: So have you ever done EMDR?
1: I have
2: not. I have.
0: Do you think this would? This is really interesting, and you as well. Do you think this is something that would help Anne? <laughs> 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 Sorry. <laughs> no. Eliana, was looking out for me. <laughs> well, it was um, just like, the, what you talked about, I was like, this is sort of the beginning. If you, if Max and Scott had this sort of revelation from this book, this is like the beginning of your huge journey, <laughs> Do you feel that
1: reading the book? Well, I don't think it's the beginning because it's like, I mean, yeah, no. But I remember being in therapy and trying to excuse, like, I was like, yes, yeah, so this trauma event happened, but it's nothing compared to like these. This is what people are living through every day, and um, it was something my therapist said to be like, okay, but can we just take a moment and say like that impacted you and that was not okay, and we had to go through and like have that acceptance and he like held space and made me like sit in it for a bit. And it's like, cause I, you know, I've been taught to, well, it's not as bad as somebody else. I don't have it as bad as that. And so I can't, I don't feel like I'm allowed to have any of that feelings. And then it's like, like Scott has also (laughs) met, uh, met my grandmother. Um, where like my whole dad's side of the family, like they don't, they're not in touch with feelings. They're not in touch with any of that. And that's like, I wonder now how much of the intergenerational things, you know, that they're that trauma that's just been passed through that nobody's dealt with.
3: The way the story, it was told to me in a very simple way, which is there's a, there's a, there's a fish and he's just swimming around and he's doing his thing. And all of a sudden this, this bigger fish, this older fish comes by and goes, well, the water's kind of cold today, huh, buddy? And then swims by. And the little fish keeps going and it's like, wait.
2: What's water?
3: What the fuck's water? It's, I'm so conditioned to, as Scott said, abuse, whether it's from family of origin, cultural messaging, whatever, that I'm just like, ah, this is normal. This is normal. Everything's normal here. I mean, we live in a culture that straight up says like, unless you get a graduate degree education and make a shitload of money, you failed. There's no inherent self-worth in that. You're telling me that doesn't have an effect on you? No, it's what makes my brain fucking run all day sometimes. It's like, well, I need to pay for this and get this. And then maybe if I do this, then I'll be happy. And then I'll blah, blah, blah. Then I'll be enough. Da, 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 da. All that fucking spinning about maybe if I get this, then I will feel complete. I will feel whole. If, when. I'm not even here, man. That's trauma. Half the people on this planet aren't even fucking here right now. That's why this shit keeps happening. Because they're not here.
0: I've been reading statistics about, I guess, men, men's mental health in the US and how they're the least likely... I guess demographic to ask for help. Like, did you feel? So, how do you sort of battle with that? Um,
2: It took me forever to ask for help because I was taught. I was taught as a man, like you know, Max. You you did a great job of talking about like if the sadness, if you're like not allowed to feel sad, right? But it's like I was told to be grateful. If I was, I, I, I was never allowed to be angry. I really wasn't allowed to be sad, right? So I was told if I had feelings, I was dramatic or oversensitive. So what I did is I pushed them down. And as men were taught that as men were not taught, feel your feelings, as men were not taught, your feelings are valid or they matter. And we're taught, Hey, just toughen up, right? Wipe, like rub, like, like, if you get hurt, like, you know, get, get back in the game, blah, blah, blah. But like, there's feelings there. We're, we're, we're feeling human beings. And To be able to do that requires so much strength and I could never have done it without asking for help. But for me to get to a place of asking for help, I was so fucking broken. I was so fucking done. I literally at one point was basically collapsed with six men holding me up because I couldn't fucking do it anymore. And I'm hoping that by having conversations like this, other men hear this and they know they're not fucking alone. And they know that it actually takes more strength to ask for help. And there's people like Max and I out there that are actually there waiting for them to ask for help. That's why I became a coach because I want to fucking be able to support people through this because it literally is the ability to get your life back rather than live a, what looks like a life to the outside, but inside you're fucking dying. Who wants to live like that? I mean, look, I,
3: fuck, dude, I, I wish... Comfort is a soul killing enterprise. It is. I wish someone had taught me it is okay to be uncomfortable. And the thing is like, that means for, for that to work, all of us have to accept discomfort. And, and, and the, and the reason it's, you can, it's not even discomfort. It's fucking life happening in real time. We're so unaccustomed to it that it comes up and we call it anxiety. And then we have to treat the anxiety and make it go away. And that's, that's literally killing the planet we are killing life as it's happening and we're taught that over and over again and particularly as men when it comes to emotions like oh fuck, man i these emotions that i have are natural responses they are natural responses some of it to a lot of it to my perception but also to just what's happening i would say our 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 perception collectively is so distorted at this point because of so much unlived life. I'm going way off track here. I don't even know if we're talking about body keeps the score. But what what needs to happen and what Scott is was great at like showed me so much is just it's just allowing discomfort. That's how trauma gets healed because it's so freaking painful. So EMDR, here's, here's the ignoramus's understanding of this ignoramus understanding of EMDR. Going back to the brain and why this book is so helpful. We can go off of and who knows if this is true, but you hear it all the time so it's helpful for this conversation. Left hemisphere, right hemisphere. And then you have this thing connecting it and you have your amygdala, right? So traumas firing from here into my body. <laughs> I get loaded with this thing. And then I have my left hemisphere and my right hemisphere my right hemisphere is this emotional thing going, hey, what's going on? And my left hemisphere is going, that's this, that's this, this is what that is. Let's name it. Let's name it. Ooh, you're sad. This is the, if maybe this is because, so I have these three things just all kind of like trying to make sense of life and, and trauma rewires the brain so that this thing is like, Phew. I think about it. I get traumatized. It's why I, He talks about talk therapy quite a bit in this book, how talk therapy is great. Helped me a lot, but sometimes talking about something will re-traumatize me. And unless I have a modality to help me get back into my body, I will just continue to go further in my head to avoid the pain in my body. This is this drug. It's fucking amazing. This is an internal pharmacy. This bad boy right here can at will call in drugs call in epinephrine, call in dopamine, call in serotonin, just by how I think about things. And, and the truth is, is like, until I really look at this stuff, it, this stuff is actually kind of running this instead of this running this or working together. So what EMDR does, and you can do it on Zoom. I've done it on Zoom, it's fucking crazy, Excuse my French, is it's kind of like that, when I mean, the first time you do it, it's kind of like hypnosis, but it's not really hypnosis. What it's doing is your, it's eye movement desensitization. What's the last one, Scott? R's. It's not reinforcement. What is it?
2: Uh, eye movement. Like
3: reprocessing something. Again, we, yeah. we are, I'm an actor, guys. Like, I don't know <laughs> why the fuck anyone's listening
2: to me talk about this, but that's not true. Actors are cool. Um, <laughs> because you're a human being who's actually gone through this experience, Max. You just
0: outed yourself, Max. <laughs> Yeah,
2: I know, I know. so how what um, would a session be like like just uh well i don't know they're all different. i mean the, i hey, 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 i was getting to the
3: good part right. by following this or you might have paddles in your hand that stimulate what it's doing is it's oscillating back and forth between your left hemisphere and your right hemisphere and it's it's creating a bridge between your Thinking brain, which might be going, and your emotional brain, which might be going, and it allows them to communicate in order to calm down so that you can get in your body. So that's why it's helpful, is because again, it allows you to go back in your body. And the way that denial works, first and foremost, kind of like we were talking about, again, not a therapist, so take what I say with a grain of salt. the way did not
0: therapist, I would still take everything you say with a grain of salt.
3: Thanks, Alana. <laughs> so, so sometimes Scott used to ask a very simple question, he'd be like, How are you feeling today? And I'd be like, Well, I feel like my blah, blah, blah is blah, blah, blah. And if I just had blah, 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 then I would be blah, blah, blah. And Scott would look at me and he'd be quiet. And then he'd say, Do you want some feedback? And I'd be like, Sure. And he'd say, you didn't answer my question. How are you feeling today? Well, I feel like if da 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 and da da da, and I'm really blah 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 <laughs> about blah blah blah, and you'd be like, "Cool, cool. Let's try something else. Take a deep breath. <sighs> What's going on in your body? All of a sudden, I'd be like, "Oh shit, my shoulders up. My my chest is burning." And he'd be like, tell me what's, what sensations are going on in your body? And I'd be like, my chest is burning, my shoulders up. And I'd be like, oh, oh, this is feel, this is actually feeling. The other stuff was thinking. And then, and then Scott might ask me a question like, what do you think your shoulder would say when it's up like that? What do you think it would, it would say if it had a voice? And I'd be like, oh, that's a fucking stupid question. <laughs> I don't know, first thing that comes to your mind. Um. It's okay. It'd say it's okay. And then I might get a response like, Oh, well, maybe that's the only shoulder you could cry on your own for a long time. <gasps> <gasps> Huge emotional. <laughs> tears. Yeah. Point being like, we, I I can't tell you how many guys, particularly when I meet guys like first starting to work on themselves or like having worked on themselves for a while where, you ask the very simple question, how are you feeling? And you don't actually get an answer to that question. I, I didn't even know that. You're getting how someone's thinking about how they're feeling. Mm-hmm. And and if you, if you again, kind of extrapolate or expand on that, most of my life isn't life well lived. It's me thinking about a, what a life well lived would look like. Or me thinking about I'm I'm literally living life through a fucking straw, of my thoughts going. This is great! Oh yeah! <laughs> that
2: is a trauma response. That's super well said, dude. Um, I uh, my EMDR experience so was a little different. So I um, so they. they he, to build on what he said, yeah, you can do you like they'll either do a finger following back and forth, or pads where there's sound, or there was one other thing and I can't remember what it was but we started with that other thing because I was te- my therapist was terrifying. So I did trauma therapy with a therapist that I was terrified of which I don't recommend anyone doing. Um, I also don't recommend trying to date. Right. <laughs> I also don't recommend trying to date in the middle of trauma therapy because you will, and it will not go well. That Just don't happen. try to date anyone in the middle of trauma, ther- uh, trauma therapy. But okay, so EMDR, so I had a therapist at the time. So one of my big things that we were talking about earlier is I was never allowed to be angry, right? So I had a lot of anger. And I'd, I'd be with this therapist and I'd tell her I was angry or I was really angry, I was so angry. And she would say to me things like, Well, maybe we shouldn't see that. Maybe we shouldn't work together anymore. Like she couldn't hold the space for my anger. And I, so, and that re-triggered the mom stuff and the abandonment stuff. So I'm doing EMDR with someone that I don't even feel like I can be fully there with, right? But so what you do is you go back to a specific memory. Like for me, it would be going back to the kitchen and my mother's screaming. And you go back to that memory and you imagine that memory while either the finger's going back and forth or you're holding the sensors that are creating or there's sound sometimes, but it moves back and forth, left to right, left to right, left to right. And as that happens, it puts your brain in a different place, right? In that memory, in that experience, because all trauma has to be healed by um, exposure. I don't know any other way other than I guess some of the brain stuff they're doing. You have to be willing to relive whatever that thing is to reprocess it differently, which is what EMDR does. And then when you finish doing that, you go back to a very grounded you you imagine a place that feels very comfortable very safe right but i could never get there with her because she was there so for the for like my affair experience was one of the worst times of my life because i left the session still traumatized and then would go to this person that I was dating it was, and, couldn't, and didn't tell the person that I was doing trauma therapy because I was, had shame around it. And it was just this horrible fucking experience. Luckily, it lasted about 10 sessions and then ended. But, um, but the process of doing it, the process of going back to that memory, and you can even do your own sort of version of it. Like anyone that's listening that's had an experience, just go into your memory of the really traumatic event that happened imagine it see yourself there right then you as the adult version just go back and take your kid's hand i did that with someone one time and it was so life-changing because when i was a little kid getting yelled at i didn't have a body i was just a brain trying to understand why someone was yelling at me i had no idea that i was a person standing there that i could move that i could leave that i could that i could do anything right so imagining going back there and taking that little boy's hand all of a sudden gave that little boy a body and that was a very um it just changed something for me it was really powerful because also then you see the situation differently you're you're in this instead of just being the little kid in the situation there's the bigger version of you walking around it right like i can go behind my mother in this version i can go stand and i can go do other things that i couldn't do and I don't know, for me, it was, it was super powerful.
0: This is making me, I think this is very, a very ignoramus moment, but I was very curious about MDMA therapy. Have you guys heard about that? And this is kind of making me understand why that might work. Yeah, because so- it would reroute your brain. Have you actually done that? I mean-
3: So there's, you <laughs> there's a lot, I'll say this in a general way. There's a lot in the back of that book. And, and it's why I love that book. It's like, it'd be one thing if it was just the first half of that book and be like, this is trauma, the end. Yeah. Like, oh, shit. But the back half is all solution oriented. Half of the book is, is solutions. It's like, okay, well, you can heal this stuff. There's a lot of hope. I can't, you know, I, I think it would be ridiculous to think that I could heal it myself. I mean, one, one way it was described to me is I need to live into a new paradigm and anything I think or feel is currently in this paradigm. So I'm going to need help. I'm going to need someone, you know, I, I, I heard it described as like, you know, when you go to a a zoo or a circus and you see a sphere of death, those motorcyclists who go around and around and around in that like little metal sphere. And, and, and they just pull on the gas, and then they go even faster around. That's that's kind of me without a solution, without outside help. Is like I'm just gonna do this better, and I gun it, and I just go around and around again. And what I really need to do is I need to like slow down, have someone outside the cage help me. I stop the bike, I get off. I still have got my sea legs because I've been going around for 33 years. I'm nauseous. I'm in pain. I'm like. And someone's outside going, yeah, just crawl this way a little bit. I still feel like I'm going around the thing. I'm like, I'm spinning. And then they open the cage and I can slowly walk out. And and there are a number of ways where not only is it like getting out of the cage, but then like, oh, I'm I'm not living on a bike anymore. Like, welcome to the circus. Still (laughs) fucked. Um, What do I do? But so it's like the back half of that book is like, There's also body trauma release therapy, which is something I've done, which is amazing, which is instead of talk therapy, it's working from the body up. So it's like all this somatic healing, somatic healing, somatic experiencing, scanning, meditation is really important. There's all different kinds of meditation. For me, I can say, I don't know what they're called because it doesn't fucking matter. But I do like body scans where I'll just check in headspace was super helpful and just feel what's going on in my body really slowly. Nature, animals. I go hang out with uh wild mustangs and deer and I feed them apples and then I'll cry. Don't know why it works. It's great. Drum circles, acting, community exactly. theater. I mean, oh, yeah. Like, yeah. The so theater stuff about, we oh, talked about. Yeah. Was, that
0: was interesting. Talk a little bit more about that and like whether or not it changed you as an actor um, with uh, this knowledge of, of trauma. No doubt.
3: Book. No doubt. I mean, it changed everything. Changed that. It, changed, it fundamentally flipped my understanding of the world um this book did that's how what important is the
0: thing what is the thing about act because he does he talks about it in the book about how theater can also really help with trauma and can you explain a little bit about that like how does well, it do that
3: okay so i'm going to give you my very
0: you're an actor
3: i can speak to the acting part <laughs> first of all if you're approaching this is my opinion you can do it however you like i just i don't really worry about how other people do shit these days there's exceptions to that all the time but in general that's something um i uh i think for me if i'm approaching something as he or it's happening to him what i'm doing is i'm I'm pushing away an experience i'm not allowing it's not happening to me it's not i i'm not owning an experience so right then and there like that's starting point it's happening to me or it's happening to a part of me a part um but it's not like this character and I think this character is like this and blah, blah, blah. It's like, I don't intellectualize it. I, I would, for me, I would absorb the circumstances as kind of dictated by the writing and, and, and the circumstances point to an experience, which beyond the experience an experience is, is delivered through the language because it's not only what happened, it's a perception of what happened. So I try and live in that. And what it does, ideally, if I slow down enough and I make it specific enough through my senses, imagined or not, because the brain doesn't know the difference, is I start to have a somatic experience. And the cool thing about theater, and this is why I find it to be so helpful, is that, again, going back to that conversation we had about denial, if I, I have certain blockages psychologically from getting into parts of my body, like literally like, little defense towers that are just like, if he gets close, fire this thought and he'll go back that way. Like, I can't even get in the zone. But what theater can do is I can take someone else's story and it's almost like Inception where it gets around the defense, (laughs) you know, because I'm still like, I'm using this specific story and I'm living this story somatically, and it's real to me and I'm empathizing. That's the real definition of the word empathizing. I'm having the experience, not oh man i feel bad for that guy who's having the experience that's not empathy i'm having the experience and all of a sudden it's gone around my own defenses and i'm accessing a part of my body that psychologically my brain is like doesn't know that i'm i'm still entering a part of my soul that's been blocked so it's soul work this stuff's all soul work or magic magic with a k or if you're super you know brainy and you can't handle those words
2: uh, it's, Embi- it's embodiment. It's embodiment work. It's, it's yeah. all about getting into the body. That's really great. How that? Yeah. was that, was that explanation for I mean, I think
0: that was a brilliant explanation about um, acting because it really also, all the stuff um, that we talked about before where it's like the denial, the comparison, you know, like I shouldn't this, that, all that goes away in, in acting, right? Cause you're telling someone else's story but then it becomes yours and all your own chatter is just gone. So I think Timmy would be the most effective. No, <laughs> obviously don't know that, but like well, it's I think, really an effective tool.
2: I think the idea is, and I mean, what, I, you know, I'll, go, I'll go back to the book and what he's talking about is like a kid who doesn't have access to being able to express himself or is feeling really shut down and the community the communal nature. See, mm-hmm. one of the things that I think we're 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 very lacking in as a society and what we really need to shift things is we need more of we need more communities. We need more like village mentality, right? We need more of like groups and support and people doing things together. And like, it's one of the things that theater offers is this communal thing. So if you're a shy kid or you can't feel your feelings at home or you can't do whatever, all of a sudden you go and you get to play, you know, I love what he talked about, about bringing Shakespeare into the the inmates in prison and being like, at first they were like, what the fuck am I going to do with Shakespeare? And then you start getting into it and you realize all these deep universal themes around Um, you know, love and betrayal and murder and, and desire. And, you know, and, and all of a sudden these prisoners are invested because they realize it's, it's all the human story. Right. And so I think that's what theater allows. It allows a safe space where you're expressing. However, my experience was, even though I had the access to the ability to do that on stage, I couldn't do that in my own life. And that eventually took a toll on me. So I had to be able to do that because also getting on stage, this is one thing as an actor that I think is an interesting thing. Getting on stage as a way of being able to be someone you can't be in your own life may mean that I'm not actually being a full human being on stage. Like sometimes I know for me, I would use acting as, well, now this is a place that I can feel safe, but the world isn't necessarily safe. So what would it be like to actually get on stage and let people know what it is to actually feel unsafe and be there, right? Like, um, I've been working a lot on Shakespeare recently. I've been working a lot on Hamlet and I love, I'm studying with this teacher that, um, that was part of the Royal Shakespeare company. And one of the things he says that no fuck, I remember talking about this years ago as an actor and being told, no, that's, you can't do that. Like some situations you don't want to be in, right? Everyone's always looking for the positive of why are you in there? What do you want? What is the thing, right? Some situations in life you're like, I don't want to fucking be here. I don't know, I, right? Like that's life. Like we're just trying to get through the moment. And this, this, um, this teacher of Shakespeare, his name is Rob Clare, he's phenomenal, um, talks about that. He's like, you know, everyone's so like, this girl was working on Juliet, and she's like, I feel like I just want to express all these things to Romeo. He's like, that's great. But what if you actually don't want to say these things and they come out? <laughs> what if you actually don't want to be in this moment and you're just trying to get through it and get, because that's life. And I think that sometimes is missing in, in theater and art is that, that deeply human part of, fuck, I don't know.
0: Well, I mean, I think this really makes me think of Anne. <laughs> like, because you did so much musical theater. And so you talked about how it's like it's like almost like a box type of thing when even though you're so good at it, that it doesn't have the same amount of release, you know. That I don't know. Maybe you can speak to to your experience. Would <laughs> um, it
1: wait? What do you mean? But like it doesn't have. As much well, as well i
0: think it was like what scott when when scott you were saying that um before when you could feel safe on stage but you weren't doing that in real life like you, you i mean you were using the stage as a place to feel safe but you were and you, you could express yourself but you weren't fully able to express yourself in real life was that what mm-hmm. you're saying and yeah. it just made me think of um and talking to me about musical theater and how
1: um. <laughs> Well, I think I think it may have been more specifically in like jukebox musicals where it's just fluff and people don't actually want to feel anything. And that's that's a lot that I have problem with musical theater um, where uh, like things that are coming out now uh, are a little bit darker and they deal with trauma they deal with things that people don't want to talk about and so many of the older generation um they just are they have a distaste for it because they want to go there and just be happy and they don't want to think and they don't want to sit like within that stuff it's the same thing that max was saying before like people just don't want to sit in it they can't just be there and feel those things and you're having that empathic experience living through the story that you're seeing and so people just want to have all of the happiness and not like oh this person's being raped this person's being murdered this person is you know like all of these feelings are happening they just want to like oh this is fun let's sing along with this song that doesn't necessarily mean anything yep yeah. yeah go
2: you're, for it. You're- no, but you're right. And like like the, all the musicals that have come out recently, like, I mean, I remember seeing Next to Normal and just being blown away because here's this musical about mental health, right? All of a sudden you're seeing this musical about a woman struggling with her mental health and how it affects the family. And it's like, yeah, that shit wasn't going on <laughs> when I was a kid, right? That wasn't happening. So I didn't, and, and so I, I would imagine on some level how healing that is. For an audience member who's growing up in a a family where that kind of shit's going on to see that on stage, you know, because that's also the power of theater is the ability to reflect back, you know. You put a bunch of people in a room together and they're all watching theater and they've done studies, their heartbeats link up. There's a coherence that happens with the audience, that their heartbeats link up. So if you think about that. I would imagine on that same level, if people are traumatized and things like that, like there's a, there's just a, it's a collective experience, right? Um, so it's cool that these stories are starting to show up on stage now. As opposed and
0: to light like from the piazza.
2: I, I, something or came piazza. up and I want to say something, which is
3: like, I actually got this question last night when I was eating way too much Korean barbecue.
0: <laughs> so I said, like, for-
3: is this, I think we had mentioned that this was going to happen tomorrow and, and which is today. And, and, um, someone said, well, like you've done a lot of this stuff. Like, do you think it has a benefit? And the reason I'm saying that is because I don't want anyone who's listening to think like, Oh, I'm just going to focus on trauma and like, you know, just be really dark and morbid all the time. Like that is not, (laughs) that is not the gift or the reward for doing this work. It is, if you want, you can do whatever you want. Um, but I think it's worth saying a, what some of the rewards have been for me personally, having done some of this, having really used this book as a guide in a lot of ways. And then, and then also why I, I really think what Ann said was very important. So maybe I'll start with that, which is like I used to think that if I just focused on the good and I'll call it toxic positivity and manifested all these things, I could somehow skirt around these things that were already there. I mean, that's the thing about denial is it's not like it's not there. And if I think about it, it will come into existence. Denial is, it's stuff that's already there. It's already part of my experience. I'm literally saying, you're not worth it to myself. You're not worth having your feelings about these things. You're not worth it. Um, and the way that the story was delivered to me was, uh, there's a guy, and this is a dark story, who's who's in this freaking thrown in the bottom of a well. It's like this cave. And it's it's dark and there's stones all over the floor. And at the top is this little light. And he knows if he just gets to the light, he'll live and he'll be happy. So he just starts piling up these stones. I'm just gonna be happy. I'm just gonna be happy. He starts getting all these rocks, and after about 14 days, he's like really freaking hungry. And he starts putting more. I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna be happy. They find his body two weeks later. He's at the top of this little pile. He's maybe like five stones short of getting through the thing. And they shine a flashlight down there. And they're like, oh, dude, what a bummer. If he had just crawled around on the floor in the darkness for a little bit, he would have found this little tunnel that just let out. <laughs> and that's, that's the problem with toxic positivities. Like, it's not going to work because it's not based in reality. You don't have enough stones to get up there, dude. It's not going to happen, bro. It's not going to happen. So it's like, really like, this is, is kind of the way I see it. It's, it's, you could call it wise. We call it wisdom, but it's also, it's just like the rest is an exercise in futility. Like I have to treat this stuff. Let's just assume I have it and let's just start talking about it. And maybe it's a process. I can trust the process and the rewards are, I can speak for myself. A, we're having this conversation. That's pretty freaking cool. B, that sense of community that Scott was talking about. I have a community. I feel more part of a community. I don't feel isolated. C, I enjoy my life. I don't spend as much time in the future thinking about what I need in order to be happy or in resentment about the past. I don't know what letter I'm on anymore. But, but like, I think what And I don't know if it's mentioned in this book, but I do believe that there is a fundamental joy to just being here. And it's very quiet. Mm -hmm. And the way trauma was, the way I describe it for me is that trauma was like Metallica at level seven at all times. But I'd heard it my whole life. So I was just kind of yelling over it, like, what's up, man? Because it was playing. (laughs) Well, it meant that, like, whenever I got below level seven, I'd start to hear the Metallica and be like, "Oh, I need to go find something to get back above level seven volume, so I don't have to hear this music." I love Metallica for the record, but um, let's let's go use substances. Let's go uh, spend money frivol- frivolously. Let's you know, sex and love. Let's do these things: gambling. And I know those are all intense, but even a lot of thinking, whatever it is, adrenaline let's get these internal chemicals up above level seven so I don't have to fucking hear Metallica as background music. So as a result, I wasn't here the whole time. I was this guy. There's nothing wrong with that guy. I love that guy. But as I work on trauma, the volume starts to go down, maybe level three. And, and I start getting accustomed to like, Oh, okay. Oh, level one. Oh, silence is really nice. Doing nothing is really nice. There's this. There's this phrase, you know. Don't just do something. Sit there. And 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 one thing and a really helpful exercise for me is, Scott, you might have taught me this one, is I used to go. I used to go out to dinner. I would go see friends, or I'd be in a kind of a group communal setting, and I would sit there. And I put my hand. I keep my legs open. And you'll do this in EMDR if you do it. You uncross your legs. You uncross your arms because that's kind of this hugging myself, caretaking, keeping it in, protecting myself. There's nothing wrong with that, but I got to know what this stuff is. I find the tension in my body. I let that go. All of a sudden I'm open. And if I sit and I make a commitment to just allow whatever discomfort comes and to not move, oh man, you'll start to understand why you do half the crazy shit you do. You'll start to get it because all of a sudden I'll feel this stuff moving through me and I'll be like, and 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 really,
2: I don't want to live my life like that.
3: That's why this book's so important.
2: I want to be so present to life that I'm able to experience it all. Because I know the other way, going after, getting, I had money, I had stuff, I had whatever, right? But it was all just about getting, and I wasn't really there for my life. It wasn't. And now, you know, to talk about the what, what I get to experience, yeah, I'm part of a community. I get to openly speak honestly about things that I never would have spoke about before. (laughs) And I never would even listen to other people speak about. Um, I no longer want to throw up and punch someone when someone says inner child, (laughs) um, because I used to. And I realized that was because that was the relationship with that part of myself. Um, I have really incredible relationships with friends where we're honest and we share openly and their support. I'm in the most loving, incredible relationship of my life um you know and and I couldn't have done any of that before I couldn't have done any of that before I I have a business where I support other people who want to who want to do this work and like I sometimes I'll be on a, a call with someone and they'll be like why do you do this like what do you get out of this and I'm like you don't understand like We get to connect on a level that is so genuine and real. And it's amazing. And the fact that someone is willing to feel those feelings and they're willing to do it in front of me is like the greatest fucking gift in the world because somebody did that for me. Somebody did that for me. So. Is you
3: can't figure this stuff out. It's it's my logical brain. one One of the ineffective behaviors I developed from trauma was to try and intellectualize and understand myself. So I had this constant narrator always like either it was a movie or a book or the critic or whatever, always trying to understand what was going on and like figure out how to make it better or modify the experience or, or what this person thought about it and how to change that or whatever. And, and, and it was really, I didn't realize it, but it was really painful because um, without intending to it, and I say this with a lot of compassion, I, I was self-centered and, and in isolation in my thinking. And I, didn't, I really didn't want that. I really wanted a sense of community and connection. And that's what I was trying to do for, through my thinking. I was trying to get that sense of connection. It's just, I can't do it. I can't ask this thing to do that for me. I can't ask this thing to do something it can't do. And, and the pain of living with trauma is expecting your brain to figure out life at all times and your brain just can't do it it's not not your fault no one's brain can do it but it's the constant stress and shame of not being able to do it because you don't know any better and and what these modalities offer and why i'm going i went off on a little tangent there but is, is some of that clicking stuff on the laptop. You're like, how is this supposed to help? Or how's is, this is supposed to help? Or like yin yoga with my hips open falling. And like, I hear my pelvis cracking. That's how is this supposed to help? And, and it's, it's just a different way. It's a different paradigm of getting into the body and slowly feeling myself more than just my thoughts. Um, it's, it's a, it's, they call it a path out of the head and into the heart. And there's still, there's so many parts of my body that I'm just, just finally starting to be like, holy shit, that's what a leg is. I thought I had a leg the whole time. I haven't felt my leg.
2: Like it's, it's wild. This stuff is wild. The one thing I'll say about trauma, I think people believe like, great, you do EMDR and it's healed. Trauma is something that you big T, little T sort of face and deal with every day in some way. Right. And it's a an ability to continue to walk forward and continue to just Yeah. Just, just walk forward. You know, we, we touched very lightly on in the last few years, they've started to talk about complex PTSD versus PTSD. And I just want to differ. I want to explain the difference for people that are listening or watching PTSD is one event, one horrible event. Like you're in a war, something happens, there's a rape, it's it's PTSD. It's one event. The way to treat that is that people are trying to get more in the present. That's how I was trying to treat my PTSD, but unfortunately, my PTSD was actually complex PTSD, which is that an event occurs several, 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 several times in repetition. And so those people, we people, are hypervigilant. And it's not about trying to get in the present. We're already in the fucking present, terrified. It's about creating a space of feeling safe. So complex PTSD you need to create a space that feels safe. It's the only way that you're going to be able to heal, feel feel the feelings to heal, right? It's a simple thing, feel the heal, but it's so, so true. And this is a process. And if anyone's listening or watching wherever you are in it, if you're actually looking at this stuff, you are so brave. Uh, I'll say one thing which came up as you we were speaking, Scott,
3: which was I need a safe space, but because I have, complex PTSD, because I have trauma. Actually, paradoxically, when I'm around safe people, sometimes I actually feel unsafe, because I there's finally enough room to feel my discomfort.
2: Mm-hmm. So
3: I have to reject safety. I didn't there were certain healthy people in my life who would sit there and be calm. And I'd be like, fuck that guy. <laughs> because all of a sudden, I felt seen. And, and I would project it back onto the person be like, they're awful. Mm-hmm. So it's really like part of this is even learning and being willing to perhaps accept that I may not know what I need. That's why I might need professional help. That's why I might need someone to tell me, actually, this is safe and this isn't safe. This is a healthy behavior. This isn't and not, not in a way where I'm giving someone authority necessarily. But one of the tragedies of this thing is like my version of safety had abuse in it. Yeah. So I was always looking for abuse. Yeah. Um, but here's 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 something else that's really helpful, particularly maybe for men, although I do think toxic masculinity affects women as well, you know, and the patriarchy that's across the board. That's my opinion. Come at me for it. I don't care. At Max Carver, but um, <laughs> is David Groggins, who was a Navy SEAL, talks about he wrote this book called "You Can't Hurt Me," and this guy is the toughest. Fucking dude, I've ever, I remember listening to this while I was going through trauma therapy and like, why am I listening to this? Why am I listening to this? Why am I listening to this? This guy was talking about when I was in the Navy SEALs, I was in day 40 of boot camp, Bud's training in San Diego and I broke my leg and I ran 50 miles on a broken leg and they said to me, son, you have to leave. And I was like, I'm not leaving. But then my leg started to rot. So I had to leave. I came back one year later, same thing happened. I was like, oh my God, (laughs) I am such a coward. And he said these stories over and over again. And then he said, after the third time he said, the whole reason I had gone to the Navy SEALs was to prove how tough I was. And after I broke my leg for the third time running 50 miles on day 50 of BUDS training, they said, sorry, You failed, we can't accept you. That was your last try. And he went home and he had been chasing this dream of being a Navy SEAL and is the toughest man on earth. This guy runs 200 miles for fun in like over a 24 hour period. He gets home and with this idea, this carrot that's been in front of him to to kind of distract him, realizes that he's been running from childhood trauma. The thing that he had to prove he was tough over He finally had to sit with it. And he said, I would rather go through Bud's training three more times than sit with that amount of pain that was in my body. There is nothing more terrifying than complex PTSD and PTSD. This is not based off of a military record. He's talking about child abuse and growing up in the family that he did. So I just say that, like one thing that was so important is I have a tendency to minimize my experience. I had, I minimized abuse. I minimize these things that happen to me because if I were to say what really happened to me, I would be challenging everything I know. I would be challenging every authority figure in my life, starting with my family of origin and beyond. It would be like giving God the middle finger. And what I'm saying is if that's what you need in order to claim yourself, in order to be here and feel whole and to feel inherently worthy of having life, throw that fucking middle finger up and do what you gotta do and get the help you need and have the feelings you gotta have. And if people can't deal with it, they're okay, all right? But maybe take some space from them for a little bit and go find the people who can hold space for you because that's what I needed. And if I didn't get that stuff, I, I mean, I don't know what would happen. So this stuff is of critical importance.
0: That's beautiful. Do I, you guys have any resources for people that are just in the beginning of their journey?
3: There's all kinds of stuff. I mean, if you're – chances are if you're listening to this podcast or watching it or whatever you're doing, you're already interested. Like, it took me years to find this stuff. If you're already here, like, you probably already have the fuel to go find this stuff. There are amazing books. There's a book called uh, Drama of the Gifted Child. Have fun Uh, with that. Jesus. That's complex PTSD. Uh, Healing the Shame that Binds You. That's another fun one. Go have fun with that. There's – all kinds of resources, all kinds of communities. If you look at the beginning of the phone book, there's a twelve-step group. They're towards the front. I think <laughs> what the letter before B? That's helpful. Um, there's some other ones too, you know, in there. They tend to end with A. Um, can't say who they are because I don't know who they are. They're pretty sure they're anonymous, but that that's helpful if you need it. Um, and not the hacker organization, just to be clear. <laughs>
2: oh, I don't know. I don't know.
0: We might need those people right now. Yeah. Uh,
2: okay. Other resources, there's amazing, there's um, There's a guy on Instagram named Nate Posselthwaite, Postle, who um, has been speaking a lot about his trauma and has developed quite a following and his, his message is really powerful, which is just about allowing that child to feel what that child didn't feel. There's a lot of people that are talking about this. Um, think Brene Brown in talking about her vulnerability, she's been in recovery for years. I think that's a big one. Um, there's a guy named Gabor Mate. Uh, if oh, anyone struggles with addiction true. stuff, it, his, his whole premise around addiction is huge. Cause it's all about isolation versus connection. So it's really about connection. And I think, um, you know, the one thing that I would say, you know, Max, Max said it, and I just want to reiterate it is it, it might feel really like, when I started to do this work, and I started to feel better, feeling better felt worse. Right, like the pain in my stomach started to go away, and I'd go, oh, "Well, what do I, what do I, what do I do?" And then I'd reach back out to the thing that would cause the pain, and I'd be like, "Oh, that's familiar." And I'd be like, "But that's more pain. Like, there's gonna be pain. It's just if it's gonna be the pain that you know, or the or the one you don't, right?" but like it can feel really uncomfortable to make healthy choices. If you're used to unhealthy choices, it can feel really uncomfortable to just feel your feelings as opposed to creating dramas. If you're not able to just sit with your feelings and cry or feel sad. Right. So just being really patient with yourself and gentle and know that like Max said, it's, it's a process. And it's not, it, and your brain will probably tell you it's wrong. Your brain, because your brain's trying to protect something. So it'll be like, that's not like that, you know? And and so just give, be really gentle with yourself. Um, develop some sort of pre- self-practice. Like it, meditation, just sitting down and being aware that you're breathing. Like literally the breath is fucking life-changing and it is life. Like if you couldn't get another breath, that would be it, regardless of any ideas, <laughs> (laughs) things you have, that would be it. So just really sitting with your breath. Most people breathe really shallowly into their chest, breathing deeper, taking your time. I watched what happens when people just start to breathe. They'll start fucking crying because they're literally connecting the parts of their body they've never, they haven't connected with, right? So just being with the breath, walking outside, being in nature, having some sort of meditation. There's a meditation app called Insight Timer. It's all free. It's got amazing fucking teachers. Max mentioned, um, what's the other one that you went through? Headspace, Headspace. right? Yeah, Headspace. There's all these things out there now um, to support. So yeah, but talk to someone. Don't don't do it on your own. Find somebody, somebody that you can talk to. Great. Thank you,
0: guys, so much. Thank you so much. Um, (laughs) I really do appreciate you coming on and sharing your wisdoms and your, uh, I love your passion for this stuff. It's really, it's really inspiring. I think.
1: The Ignoramus's Guide to Surviving Humanity is available as a podcast on Spotify and Amazon Music.
0: You can also like and subscribe to our videos on YouTube. And if you want to help us grow, then you can become a patron
1: on Patreon. And that's it, right? I think that's That's it. it. Yeah. (laughs)